0: Well, let's look to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be reading and considering verse 1 through 6, but lest we leave chapter 3 too soon, let's just back up and start reading with verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah. All the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but The answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries inerrant, infallible, and inspired word. A natural desire that's found in the heart and the life of every Christian, and I do mean every Christian, everyone who has genuinely and truly been born of God, is a desire to do the will of God, to live for, to use Peter's words, live for the will of God. And a lot of times the question comes up, especially in the lives of younger Christians, maybe those who haven't been in the faith for a long time, what is the will of God for my life? And I remember even for myself as a a teenager asking myself that question, what is God's will for my life? And I had this idea of the will of God that it was some abstract thing out there in the distance. And I had to go on this, this significant journey to find out what God wanted me to do with my life especially when the the time came that I felt like the Lord was leading me into ministry and to preaching his word. I, I asked God that question over and over again, what is your will for my life? And we ask ourselves those questions. Can we know his will? And if we can, how can we know his will for our lives? And even if we can know his will, how can we ever possibly live it? live his will. If you've asked yourself that question and you're not sure of the answer, what is the will of God for my life? Let me give you a couple of passages just to encourage you. Psalm 37 verse 23. Psalm 37:23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Another passage that's maybe a little more well-known is Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Everybody gets that written in their graduation card, right? Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall, what? Direct your paths. He will direct your paths. And that should be our understanding of the will of God. Uh, uh, In in contradiction to what I used to think and in contradiction to what many think, God has not left us to wander in the dark searching for His will. Wondering what His will is for our lives. He's actually been very clear about what His will is for your life. Guess what? He gave you a book. He wrote it down, what God's will is for your life. Life. He's given us instructions for how each of us should live our lives. Now, does the Holy Spirit lead us in particular ways and work through our hearts and minds as we apply the Word of God to our lives individually? Certainly. And we should seek God in prayer. But the primary way that God has communicated His will to us is simply through His Word. So, if we want to live for God's will... If we want to live for the will of God, that doesn't mean that we see this full picture of exactly where we're going and how we're going to get there. That's what we would like to have, right? God, show me your will, and then God gives you this vision of this is where you're going to be, this is how you're going to get there. We would love that if God did that. Unfortunately, we would get ahead of Him and try to work things out in our own way. So that's not what God's will is. Living for the will of God is simply walking with the Lord in fellowship and in obedience day by day, moment by moment, and trusting Him to order your steps and direct your paths as you go. So I'll just go ahead and clue you in. God is not going to give you a grand vision for what He's going to do with your entire life. He's not going to tell you what's going to happen next year or in 10 years or the outcome of your endeavors. But I will tell you this, if you want to live for the will of God, simply walk with God, obey him and his word, and trust him that he will set your foot exactly where it needs to land for every step of the way. I think Peter helps us with understanding this in this passage. So let me just give you five principles for living for the will of God um, that I I think are in this passage, chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. So if you want to live for the will of God, here are five principles that I believe Peter gives us. Number one, remember that Jesus suffered for you. Remember that Jesus suffered for you. Chapter 4 begins with this word, therefore, and I'll just be honest with you, I hate it when chapters begin with the word, therefore. Whoever had the job of numbering these passages so that we could find them more easily should have known better than to begin any chapter with, therefore, because this isn't the beginning of a thought, it's the conclusion of a thought. We have to go back to what we know Peter told us from last week, and that's why we started with verse 18. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us. For Christ, verse 18 says, also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might what? bring us to God. And I think we spent enough time on that last week, but let me just say it again very clearly. While you were unjust, unrighteous, impure, living in rebellion against God, Jesus, the one who is just and righteous and holy and pure, came and did something for you. He took your place. He acted as your substitute in suffering and dying for sins. The hell, the wrath, the punishment for God that you and I deserve was all directed towards Jesus on the cross. He suffered. He did it once, never to be repeated. The work is done, and He did it for you, for your sins. Jesus died for you. And so if you want to live for the will of God, you have to keep that in the front of your minds at all times. Because what Jesus has done for us is the very foundation and our motivation for living for the will of God. You see, you can't live for the will of God until you have put your trust in God. Until you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus and Him alone. And you've believed on Him for salvation. If you've not been born again, there's absolutely nothing you can do to please God. Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible for us to please Him. You might say you want to do the will of God or to please God with your life, but unless you've been born again, it is utterly impossible. And if you are a Christian, if you have been born again, this has to be the foundation, the motivation for everything you do. Otherwise, you fall into legalism, right? You'll end up with a set of rules. I have to do this and this and this if I want to make God happy. No, actually, Jesus made God happy for you. So now out of of gratitude, out of joy and thankfulness for all that Jesus has done, you say, God, I want to walk with you. I want to obey you. I want to live a holy life, and I want to live for your will. So if you want to live for the will of God, you have to do this first, and you have to do this always. Remember that Jesus suffered for you. Jesus suffered for you. Number two, this is probably the one we'll spend the most time on. Number two, arm yourself for battle with sin. If you want to live for the will of God, you must arm yourself for battle with sin. Verse one there again, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, let's finish the thought, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, the Scriptures calling us to arm ourselves is nothing new, is it? There's another passage that gives us those instructions in even more detail. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Not yours, you don't have any. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And how do you do that? He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. You see, most Christians unfortunately don't retain this mindset that's given to us in scripture that the Christian life is war. You are engaged in battle every single day that you try to walk with the Lord. Now, you may not feel like that's the way your life's going. Everything's fine. It's easy. No problems, no warfare here. Well, if that's the case, you're probably not doing much to try to live for the will of God. You're probably not doing much in walking with the Lord if you're not engaged in battle. Because as soon as you take up any desire or any effort to please God with your life, as soon as you say, Jesus, I'm trusting you, my faith is in you alone, I'm going to walk with you, you know exactly what's going to happen, something's going to come against you. The battles we face are not against flesh and blood, as Paul says, but he says these are spiritual battles. And let me just be clear about this. We'll get to it when we get to 1 Peter chapter 5. The devil is real. He is very real. Demons are very real. You face spiritual battles every day. You get out of bed and say, I'm going to live for the Lord today. And so we're called to arm ourselves. And I won't go through all of Paul's passage, but let me just summarize. He says, put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation and your one offensive weapon. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. Arm yourself with the Word of God. Now, in Peter's writing, he gives us something specific. He says, arm yourselves also with the same mind. The same mind. The word mind in Greek is ennoyon. It's it's translated in in other ways as a way of thinking. An understanding. An attitude. Purpose. The idea is that whoever's whoever's mind he's telling you to take on, he's telling you to have the same intentions as that person. And who is he talking about? Whose mind? Jesus. Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, He suffered for sins, arm yourselves with the same mind, the same purpose, the same intentions. Just as Jesus was intent, had His purpose, was determined to do the will of God in dying for sin, so we must have that same resolve in dying to sin now how do you do that how could you ever possibly attain the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ I mean his ways are higher than our ways right his thoughts than our thoughts how could we ever think like Jesus some of the people in the room are too young to remember this and I sort of caught the end of it I think remember the bracelets WWJD right what would Jesus do How do you know that? How do you start to think like Jesus would think? And there's only one way that I can possibly fathom that we could do that. And that is to immerse yourself in his word. To walk with him in his word and in prayer. As our minds are informed by the word of Jesus, we will begin to think like Jesus. And if we're to do that, if we're to arm ourselves with the same mind that Jesus had, we have to immerse ourselves in His Word and in prayer. He makes an interesting statement at the end of the verse. He says, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? If there was just something that you could suffer and do and just be done with sin. I'm not going to sin anymore. Is that what he means? I don't think so. We need to recognize that we do have freedom from sin. Paul wrote this in Romans 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 5, he said, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, that is Jesus, certainly also we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. The old nature, that sinful part of us, was put to death with Jesus when He died on the cross. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died has been freed from sin. So there is a sense in which you have ceased from sin. You are freed from sin because if you have believed on the Lord Jesus and you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit as part of God's family, then it is a reality for you that 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross in the flesh, it was as if your flesh, your sinful nature, was crucified with Him. How many dead people do you know who sin? Nobody. And so Paul says, he who has died is freed from sin. So there's a sense in which if you died with Christ, you're free. You're not under the yoke, the bondage, the chains of sin any longer. You're free from sin. You're liberated. It has no hold on you in Christ. But in reality, in practicality, we still live in the flesh, right? We're still struggling day by day, back and forth, between good and evil, right and wrong, godliness and sin. And so when Peter says here that he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, he's really just saying, be done with sin. It's like a bad breakup. That relationship is over in a very practical sense. We have to determine that we are through with sin. Only as we rest in the gospel, only by the power of the Holy Spirit, only as the Word of God is shaping us, but we must determine, we must reckon ourselves dead to sin. That's not who I am anymore. I don't walk that way, I don't live that way, I don't talk that way. I walk with the Lord. Yes, you'll do it imperfectly. Yes, you will still sin. But dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit of God living within you, make up your mind that you and sin are done. That relationship is over. If sin comes around in your life, don't let it be by invitation. If sin comes around in your life, let it be against your own desire. And as soon as you see it coming your way, as soon as you're tempted, as soon as sin steps back in and you realize what you've done, you kick it to the curb all over again. You reckon yourself dead to sin because you are not in sin any longer. You are, if you've been born again, in Jesus. In Jesus Christ. An example that I didn't come up with, I stole it from somebody else. It's like this ring that I've got on my finger here. Any of you married men or women for that matter, you've got a ring on your finger. And should a married man or a married woman ever find themselves in the situation where they're tempted to live like an unmarried man or an unmarried woman? you're tempted to sin and to violate that covenant, you've got a constant reminder there, don't you? All you got to do in that moment is just take that thumb and you just start turning that ring. You say, "You know what, that's not me. My life has changed. I'm in a committed relationship. I'm not going that route. And for you as a Christian, there's a moment, there's a day that your life changed, a day that you were born again and brought into a new family. And whenever you're tempted to sin, you're tempted to live like somebody who's not a Christian, to do something that a Christian shouldn't do. You just need to remind yourself, you know what? I'm, I'm in a committed relationship. Jesus has done so much for me. He died for me. He loves me and I love him. And I'm not going that way. Arm yourself for battle with sin. Arm yourself with the mind of Christ. And reckon yourself dead to sin. Number three, if you want to live for the will of God, recognize that your time is limited. Recognize that your time is limited. Verse two there, he says... He's continuing the thought he has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And Peter sort of goes out of his way there to say that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh. I don't I don't know how long I have to live, do you? I like to think I've got some time left. you know, I could go in for a physical this week and find out something's bad wrong with me. You might like to think you've got some time left, but the roads are pretty nasty out there today. Something could happen to you. We don't know what time we are given. There is one thing that we do know, and that is that it's not eternal in this life. Our time in the flesh is limited. It is appointed that men should die once. Jonathan Edwards, in his resolutions, resolved that he would not do anything that he wouldn't be okay with doing if that was the last hour of his life. And so if you want to live for the will of God, we have to come with this mindset that our time is limited. We should not live for the lusts of men. We should live for the will of God. He said in verse 3, 4, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Any of your parents look at you and stomp that foot down and say, that is quite enough. Any of you ever said that to your children? I feel like that's what Peter's saying here. That is quite enough. You have spent enough time living and doing the will of the Gentiles. I don't know how old you are today, but however long you've been living in sin, it has been quite enough. Your time is short. Don't waste another moment living for sin. Repent and live for the will of God. He gives us a list. We won't cover everything in the list, but he says when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. I know a lot of people, that just sounds like a fun weekend. But Peter says you've spent enough of your time living in those things. You've spent enough time doing the will of Gentiles. You need to spend your time, what time you have left, living in those for the will of God and if you want to live for the will of God you have to keep that in mind that your time is short. And number 4. If you want to live for the will of God, persevere when you are persecuted. Persevere when you're persecuted. Because he says there in verse 4 in in regard to these, that is that list of sins there he just gave and whatever else you'd like to add to the list they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now, if you have been going on in in sin, and maybe you can think back to a time in your life when you did go on in those sins, and you had friends and you had people around you that you liked to sin with, maybe when you became a Christian or if if you're here today and you you become a Christian and you decide you're not going to live this way any longer, you make that decision for yourself. I will not live for sin. I'm going to live for the will of God. Not everybody's going to be happy about it. You're not going to go out and twist all the arms of your friends and say, now you guys, you got to quit this too. Most likely you wouldn't do that. Maybe some of you would. But it doesn't matter if you're not twisting arms. If you stop doing it, that's enough of a condemnation of what they're doing. They're going to speak evil of you. What do you, you think? You're too good for us now. Also, oh, you've turned religious on us. I've heard about self righteous people. Those who continue in sin will not be happy about the fact that you're not. You see, tolerating a lifestyle choice only works one way in the world's eyes. I'm sorry. When you choose to do right and follow the will of God, the tolerance doesn't go back that way. You're a bigot now. You're hateful. But whenever you face that kind of persecution, when people speak evil of you or worse, let me encourage you, if you want to live for the will of God, you must persevere. Stand firm. Continue walking with the Lord. They will speak evil of you. I'll just go ahead and tell you up front, they will speak evil of you when you do right and you follow the Lord. Stand firm. Persevere. Number five, if you want to live for the will of God, keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes on eternity. Verse five, he says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who persecute you will stand before God. And that in one way should give you compassion towards them. And not get all defensive when they do speak against you, but to pray for them and to share the gospel with them, knowing that while they're the ones who are the persecutors now, one day they will stand before God and they'll stand before God who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They'll stand before Him. Their threats and their uh, condemnation won't last forever. They will stand before God. And let me just say this to to any of you who may be in that that place. If you speak against those who do the will of God and you love your sin and you're going to continue in it, you will stand and be judged by God. You will be judged for your sin. And be encouraged with this that God will vindicate you at the judgment. You don't have to defend yourself now. You don't have to get revenge when somebody does you wrong. You just trust the Lord because He will vindicate you. Verse 6, he says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who were dead. And what does he mean by that? I don't think he means that people who were already dead went and heard the gospel after they died and they had another chance to believe. That's not what Peter's saying. He's talking about those who have already died. They heard the gospel. And even though they're now dead, he says that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. There are people who are dead who were judged according to men in the flesh that they were written off by humanity. They were written off by their critics who said, no, they they can't live that way. That's not right. And some were even put to death for the gospel. But even though they died, since they heard the gospel and believed, even though they were judged according to men in the flesh, they live according to God in the spirit. So even though you might be put to death in the flesh for standing for God, you will, because of the promise of God, live according to God in the Spirit. Because to be absent from the body, the Scriptures say, is to be present with the Lord. If something happens to you here now, if you've heard the gospel and believed, even though you may die criticized by the world, your name may be trashed by those who hate Christ, you will live in, according to the Spirit, according to God in the Spirit. So let me just say this. Trading a lifetime here for an eternity with God is totally worth it. It's totally worth it. If you were to live 100 years on earth, and I've said this 100 times before maybe, and all 100 years of your life was nothing but suffering and pain and problems, if you trust Christ and you leave this world to spend eternity with Him, it is better. It is worth it to suffer your entire life on earth if you get to spend eternity with God. Paul told the Romans, Romans 8, he said, for I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. There is glory that waits the Christian. Stand firm, persevere, live for the will of God, put away your sin, remember that Jesus died for you. And you can withstand all things, and you can walk faithfully as His servant, as His child because you have the promise of glory to follow. You can trade this temporal life, you can trade these 70 or 80 or maybe 90 years you have on earth for an eternity with God. These are reminders, these are things we have to keep in our minds if we want to live for the will of God. And God's given us some reminders in the church along the way. To help us to remain faithful, to bring to our minds what God has done for us in Christ. Two that we recognize as a church, two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Every time a a sinner becomes a child of God, every time a sinner is converted, and we fill up this pool back here and we take them and we bury them in that water and raise them again, we're reminded of our own conversion. How that we have died to sin, that Christ died for us and we were buried with Him in the likeness of His death and raised to newness of life in the power of His resurrection. And the other is the Lord's Supper. That when we gather and we pass these elements and we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're reminded of the body of Jesus that was crushed for us. And the blood that was shed in our behalf. And these things aren't just rituals. They're not just signs that we do in the church just out of tradition. These are to serve as reminders to us of what Christ has done for us. And what awaits us when the end comes. And so before we take of the Lord's Supper this morning. I ask you to examine yourself. Consider your own life. Is there sin of which you need to repent? Is there something you need to confess, maybe not only to God, but to someone else in the room? Is there a sin you've committed against a fellow brother or sister in Christ? Friend, if there's sin in your life, do not take of this supper until you have repented. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. But we are ju- when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So let's have a moment of prayer. And as I pray, the deacons will come and get ready to distribute the elements. But as we pray, Ask God to search your heart, to reveal to you any unconfessed sin. And before you take this supper, confess it, repent, and make your heart right with the Lord. And if you won't, please let this cup and this bread pass by you. Do not take it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have made your will known to us how we should conduct ourselves and how we should walk in a manner that's pleasing to you. God, I pray for each person in this room right now that you would reveal to us the sin in our own lives, that you would discipline us, chasten us, Lord, drive us back to you. Lord, for the one who's not even a Christian yet, Lord. I pray that you would make them anxious for their soul. That the thought of their sin and the judgment to come would torment them. And that they would run to you for peace. They would run to you for mercy and safety. And I pray for the Christians here, Lord. Those of us who know that we have been born again. Lord, show us where we really stand with you in our walk. And God, whatever you've brought to our minds right now, Lord, we confess it. We confess our sin to you. we thank you for jesus who died for us that our sins might be forgiven we rest in him alone we trust in him alone and now we come to take of the supper in remembrance of what he did for us on the cross and as motivation to walk with you and to walk in holiness and look forward to the day that we see you face to face. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.